0: You are listening to The Hemp Startup Journey. My name is Jason De Los Santos, co-founder of Spectrum Labs, a hemp extraction facility in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm sitting down with hemp entrepreneurs, scientists, and politicians willing to share their perspectives, lessons learned, and how we can make an impact on the hemp and cannabis industry for everyone. Hey guys, Jason here with Spectrum Labs. Before we start this podcast, I just wanna say, be ready for your mind to be blown. This was a great podcast. I spoke with Emma Chason. And uh, let me just read a little bit uh, on her from her bio here Emma Chasen has a mission to educate people on the science behind cannabis so they may take charge of their own healing after graduating from Brown University in 2014 with a degree in medicinal plant research Emma went on to coordinate clinical oncology trials with the Brown University oncology research group when her supervisor refused a cannabis trial in favor of another expensive pharmaceutical drug Emma quit and headed across the country to Portland Oregon she found her way to pharma the popular portland dispensary that takes a more scientific approach to cannabis rejecting the indica sativa binary and instead focusing on chemotypes to determine effect she began her career at pharma as a butt tender and was quickly promoted to general manager and eventually to director of education In this role, she was able to focus on educational efforts and create a robust training curriculum that focused on cannabis science, product knowledge, and empathetic patient care. Emma now co-owns and operates Eminent Consulting, a cannabis consulting business that offers educational training and craft industry development for cannabis industry professionals and businesses. She helps brands develop educational material, uh, educational marketing collateral, and ongoing educational programs to further elevate their brand presence in a competitive industry she also helps struggling and newly emerging cannabis businesses with business organization and sets them up for success in both the competitive medical and adult use markets so there's a lot there from Emma, and she is just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I just want to give a little bit of uh, context about her background. So she's a research scientist, essentially, and uh, her it seems like her favorite bedtime reading is just sifting through clinical trials and data and uh, journals about cannabis, and she's able to really distill the information down and making it really e- easy and simple to understand. So the purpose of this podcast, going into it from my perspective, was to not to start with the more advanced topics of cannabis and hemp. It was to start at the ground floor. And we literally start talking about what hemp is and how that's different from marijuana. And one of the reasons for that is that this is because we're in such an early industry, we're still developing this common knowledge about terms. So we start on that ground floor of hemp and cannabis and marijuana, and we keep scaling up. We talk about so many different things. We end of talking about the endocannabinoid system and different tests for that uh, whether somebody can determine if they're deficient uh, with their ECS. We talked about different terms differentiating between psychoactive, psychotropic and what that means, the different CB receptors in the body and so potentially new receptors that um, people have discovered in recent years. We talk about craft hemp, we talk about drug testing, uh, waste and how companies are managing waste in the cannabis industry. Uh, we talked about Emma's thoughts and feelings on synthetic cannabis versus organically derived cannabis. Uh, research, broad spectrum, full spectrum, um, I have pages and pages full of notes here, and it was fantastic. We talked about the USDA regulations, FDA, different examples of combining terpenes and cannabinoids and some potential effects uh, based on those combinations. So it was a really wide-ranging conversation. It was fantastic. I have a whole bunch of notes. I will be listening to this podcast for many, many times in the next few weeks, and I hope you do too as well. So... If you could, please give it a listen. Um, If you are already an advanced, uh, um, if you already have an advanced knowledge base about hemp and cannabis, the first few minutes might be a little bit rudimentary for you, but just give it time. We get into some really juicy stuff later into the podcast. So listen, take some notes, uh, please share it. Uh, Part of our mission is to help educate just everyone about cannabis and some of the benefits and some potential downsides as well. We're we're pretty open about that. So uh, listen, share. It and enjoy and here is Emma Chasen recording here just so I don't forget um, I, I sweat about this thing. It just, I, I've never done it so far, but my worst nightmare is doing a you know, 30, 60, 90-minute conversation and realizing that I never hit record. Oh,
1: God, yeah. It's so embarrassing to then have <laughs> uh, to go back to the person. Yeah. <laughs> be like, Get back do that, you know, between then? your legs. Like, oh, yeah. I'm so
0: sorry. So, uh, so I always trying to hit record early. You know, I was thinking... I presented a couple of the questions when we spoke the other day and they were not super advanced, but maybe a little understanding that somebody had some knowledge about what hemp is and cannabis. But recently I've had a couple of clients uh, for our extraction facility, our extraction lab, uh, and I'm speaking with them as if they know what we're talking about. Mm. I'm like, Oh, like, Hey, you know, we're on the same level, right? Like we can talk hemp and crude distillate, all that kind of stuff where the things that I think are basic, uh, parts of the language. And I had one guy that totally took me by surprise. He was a cultivator and, uh, nothing wrong with this, but he, he basically said, wait a minute, what's crude again? And this was after I've, you know, was speaking with him for an hour and I'm like, Oh, like, you know, we're on the same page. And that set me back to thinking like, you know what, we're, we're in such a new industry We're we're developing this language. And so instead of getting, starting with more advanced topics with this conversation, maybe we can start at the very, very basic level. Sure. And w- then we can build upon each of these sort of wrongs of education. So if we can start with well first of all when you're at a party and somebody says oh hey I'm nice to meet you what do you do how do you answer that
1: Oh, so it depends. If I am at a what I call weed event or a uh-huh. cannabis party, then I'll dive a little deeper. I'll say I'm a cannabis ed- educator. I'm also a consultant with which I will qualify that I hate the term consultant, but mm-hmm. it's an umbrella term because I do a lot of different things. Uh, I come from the, the scientific academic research world. And so I place a lot of focus and my passion really lies in educating not only industry professionals, but also lay enthusiasts around the fundamental elements of cannabis science. So that's kind of one arm of what I do is developing educational resources, online courses, community workshops, as well as educational marketing, marketing collateral for brands around cannabis and its purported effects. And then I also do some business consulting, which kind of pays the bills. Um, I do a lot of, operations, management consulting, as well as strategic planning for mom and pop shops, dispensaries specifically, as well as vertically integrated cannabis companies throughout the United States and globally.
0: Fantastic. Uh, That would leave the, I'm sure the other person speechless, like
1: (laughs) jaw dropped on the floor. I Um, definitely get like, you have a cool job. And I'm like, I know, (laughs) I love it.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. So, um, all right. So, like I mentioned a second ago, so starting from the ground floor, what is hemp? And in the sense of, you know, like what's hemp, and how does that differentiate from, say, marijuana, the the, the pot that people are are more familiar with or afraid of?
1: Mm, so, hemp is cannabis, and I cannot stress that enough. Hemp belongs to the cannabis genus. So the term cannabis is actually a taxonomical ranking and taxonomy is the way in which we classify biological organisms based on shared characteristics. And so most biological organisms of the natural world, whether they be fungi or plants or animals, have some kind of taxonomical classification, cannabis being the genus. And then underneath cannabis, there are species. And so hemp is considered to be a part of the cannabis genus. It is just a Find as having less than 0.3% THC. And that's a relatively arbitrary legal distinction. Um, it came from some research in 1976 by a very renowned botanical research scientist named Dr. Ernest Small, who grew out hundreds and hundreds of varieties of cannabis and separated them into two groups based on their physical characteristics. And when he was doing numerical quantitative calculations of their phytochemical constituents, meaning the cannabinoids and terpenes and all the compounds in each group, um, he found that the biggest differentiator was this 0.3%. THC distinction. It doesn't mean that 0.3% THC, uh, anything above that is going to get somebody high. It just means that that was the kind of differentiator between the two groups that, again, were originally separated based on physical characteristics. And so the United States and the Canadian governments looked at this research paper and then said, okay, we're going to define hemp as having less than 0.3% THC, and we're going to define quote-unquote the drug cultivar of cannabis, often referred to as marijuana, as having greater than 0.3% THC. Um, and then those two groups took very different breeding pathways because of that legal distinction. And so Hemp was bred more for its primary compounds, looking at proteins and fibers and its ability to be used as a fuel and a nutritive, whereas marijuana was cultivated. Underground for its THC percentage and its terpenes and all the aromatic compounds. Um, And that led to quite a different genetic pool between these two groups. And now I I also like to talk about a third group that is emerging, which is craft hemp. And the way that I define craft hemp is the cannabis plant that still has less than 0.3% THC, but that has been bred from the marijuana grouping. So it's still retains a lot of the more therapeutic compounds such as minor cannabinoids and terpenes and is often the one that is prized when we look at uh, extracting hemp for its its CBD concentration and its wellness potential.
0: Okay. Uh, I hope to, that we can get into craft hemp. That was one of my questions uh, that we can get into in a little bit. So when you mentioned that this gentleman met, noted that the difference between marijuana and, and hemp, or I guess the, that type of plant was that 0.3% of THC. Now, was that like correlation or causation or or like, I guess, uh, what, uh, what, why did he, or what was it that he noticed that made that the separating or the distinction?
1: He was just looking at, uh, the, the, compound differentiation between the two groups and saw that there overwhelmingly was this kind of pattern of 0.3% THC being the differentiator. So one group statistically had more than 0.3% THC. The other group statistically and and fairly consistently had Mm 0.3% THC or less. And even in his research and then communications after when he would do interviews, he um, definitely called for governments to Use common sense because this 03 percent THC. I mean, it was the statistical uh, aggregate or or consistent average of the differentiator between the two groups. However, it was definitely modulated by environmental factors and it was not a like hard line between, oh, every single variety in this one Mm -hmm. group had less than 0.3% THC and every single variety in this other group had greater than 0.3% THC. And so he called on the governments and and the policymakers to use their common sense when regulating that, yeah, it may be within 0.1, 0.2%. It could even get up to 0.9% THC in hemp sometimes. Uh, I don't think that many regulators have listened to that call. Mm -hmm. Um, But even now in Oregon, there was something just passed recently where hemp extracts were able to have a little bit greater of a milligram concentration of THC because it is very much influenced by environmental factors. And it's a common misconception that that 0.3% THC Distinction uh, is coming from the amount of THC that will cause psychotropic activity, which really, I mean, in the majority of the population, you won't feel any psychotropic effects until you get up to like a full percent of THC. So that 0.3% distinction has nothing to do with the way that it will make us feel. Again, it's just this kind of statistical average that came from this research done in the 70s.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, as humans, we're, we don't do well with gray, right? It's like yes. <laughs> you know, either above or below it's hemp or marijuana. That's it. There's yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, all right. So that's, uh, that was hemp difference between hemp and marijuana. So stepping above that, um, we, we have a, a small retail store here in Asheville. One of the main questions that we get almost every day is, is CBD going to get me high Uh, because I feel like that's a really important part of the conversation still with a lot of folks. So can can you answer that and maybe explain a little bit about why and the context of what's CBD, what's THC? And then after that, we can expand into that. It's not just CBD and you know, and talking about the other some of the other cannabinoids.
1: Yes. So the the first thing I'll say is that we need to define psychoactive versus psychotropic. So mm-hmm. psychoactive means anything that's going to interact with receptors or neurotransmitters in your brain. If you take an antidepressant or an SSRI, that is psychoactive. Um, alcohol is psychoactive. Ibuprofen is psychoactive. It it doesn't necessarily mean that it gets you high or causes this kind of altered state with alcohol, it does, but with ibuprofen or or any other kind of pharmaceutical medication like that, it doesn't really cause such a high experience, but it does activate things in our psyche. So that's how we define psychoactive. With psychotropic, it is more about describing that high state, that altered state where you can um, have hallucinations or just more of a psychedelic experience. And so CBD is non-psychotropic, meaning that it won't put you into that kind of altered state. However, it is psychoactive because it can engage with many different receptors in our brain. I actually call CBD uh, quite a promiscuous compound because at Mm. this point we know that it interacts with around or, or even over 15 different receptor families. It can engage with our opioidergic system so our opioid receptors it can engage with our serotonin receptors it can engage with our immune system it can engage with many different physiological factors in our body to induce a therapeutic experience so cbd on its own while it won't necessarily give you high get you high it will definitely cause uh a certain subset of effects and may have therapeutic value. Whereas, on the other hand, its counterpart, THC, will most definitely get you high. Now, I am in the boat that they are better together. And, and we could talk about that more when we go through kind of like full spectrum and what that mm-hmm. means. Um, but it is important to note that CBD cannot effectively engage our endocannabinoid receptor system alone. So our endocannabinoid receptor system, or ECS for short, is a complex biological system that is the reason why we can feel effects from cannabis and its ultimate goal is homeostasis. It has a hand in many of our other body systems and it helps us to achieve balance and this translates to preventing disease states and helping us recover from disease states quicker and more efficiently than if we didn't have it. Now, phytocannabinoids can engage with this ECS, but CBD cannot do it on its own. CBD does need THC in order to engage with our ECS and specifically bind to our CB1 receptors, which are in our brain.
0: So is there a value to taking an isolate, a CBD isolate?
1: There is. So there is value because CBD on its own can interact with many different receptor families, like I mentioned. But Mm -hmm. if you do take an isolate of CBD, you will most likely, at least the, the research that we have now suggests that CBD alone will not engage our endocannabinoid receptor system. So you won't actually be engaging the ECS with a CBD isolate.
0: Mm, Okay. So can you go over a little bit in an expanded version of the endocannabinoid system? What is it? Um, Because I guess it's a relatively new discovery in the human body, right?
1: Yes. It was only discovered in the early 1990s. So our understanding of it is quite limited, Um, but here's what we do know. So it is I like to call it, it's like the oil to our body's tin man. So, our body Hmm. is really complex. There are many different machines working constantly in this like mega machine that keeps us alive and keeps us healthy. The ECS, it does not belong to an organ, so it's not associated with like the heart or the lungs. Instead, it is this complex biological system that is associated with almost every single organ system in our body. And in that analogy of the oil to the tin man, as our body constantly works every single day without break, we are going to get sick. That's just inevitable. But the ECS can help prevent that and it can help us to recover quicker by kind of like greasing up those gears when they get rusty. Now there are different parts of the endocannabinoid system. There are endogenous cannabinoids. So our body makes its own cannabinoids, which again is kind of why we can feel effects from phytocannabinoids or cannabinoids from the cannabis plant. We also have cannabinoid receptors. So we have our CB1 receptors, which are in our brain. They're most densely populated in our brain uh, and spleen. And they are responsible for the psychotropic activity that we feel from cannabis. They're also responsible for a variety of different therapeutic effects, such as analgesia, aka pain relief, anti-inflammatory action, etc. And then we also have our CB2 receptors that are uh, most densely populated on our immune cells. And so they work to help regulate the immune system, thereby helping to prevent disease and helping us recover from it quicker. Um, We also have these orphan receptors that they don't really belong to any family. And this is a, a super recent discovery within the last Five, 10 years of these receptors, GPR55 and GPR18, that are just kind of like hanging out. And so scientists think that they may also belong to the ECS. And then we also have different um, cannabinoid signaling molecules and enzymes that modulate signaling uh, and physiological factors that just help, again, to regulate our many different body systems so that they function at their highest potential.
0: So you can't exactly take out the ECS out of the body, like you would take out somebody's liver, you can't take out the ECS.
1: No, exactly, exactly. And okay. most of us are actually functioning, or at least it's theorized that most of us are functioning at a pretty diminished uh, state in our ECS. So there is a theorized syndrome called clinical endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome, which states that a lot of common disorders like migraines and fibromyalgia, that don't really have good treatment options are because we are operating in a diminished ECS state. And how can we, uh, amplify our ECS function by supplementing with phytocannabinoids.
0: Hmm, Interesting. So you mentioned that our body produces endocannabinoids and, which is one of the reasons why taking, um, CBD or different cannabinoids, Uh, external or from an external source helps because we were to produce it we're just sort of maybe filling the tank if you will so is there some sort of a test that you know like i can uh, draw some blood and send it off to a lab and they can say oh well you're deficient in vitamin d or something like that is there something similar for to determine if your ecs is optimal or deficient
1: Starting to creep up for sure, especially in the realm of epigenetics. So, I have in the last year even gotten a lot of companies um, who have reached out to me to talk about their new approach in genetic testing for the human body that can kind of like map your ECS and uh, tell you what you're deficient in or even what cannabinoid ratio and potency would be optimal for you. I think that we have a long way to go Mm. in this realm, uh, especially because we are at such the beginning stages of even understanding our ECS. So we have such a small piece of the puzzle that's enough for us to understand that, okay, this thing exists. It's important for us um, to continue to survive at optimal health. Um, But I, I don't believe that we're at the place yet where we can do a kind of mapping of the ECS and be like, okay, yes, you need... Uh, 10% CBD coupled with 5% THC coupled with mm-hmm. 1% limonene or something like that.
0: Hmm. Okay. So they're just claiming to like, w- what would you get out of one of these results? the that- I'm just trying to visualize if I were to go with one of these companies, what would they provide or offer?
1: Sure. Um, you know, I don't really know. I, I didn't do any of it myself. I'm kind of a, a spooked by all that genetic testing. So I didn't even do like ancestry.com or anything. Don't want sure. anybody to have my DNA. You um, don't want to
0: know who your extended family is from like Africa or yeah, from I'm Asia good. or something. <laughs> I'm, good, I'm
1: good. All my siblings did it. And so I, I have enough of an idea. Um, but Uh, with, with this kind of genetic testing, the real takeaway, the real value was that they claimed was them being able to send you a report of what cannabis uh, would work best for you, what compounds Mm -hmm. would work best for you. And the reason why that also kind of uh, lit up my, the skeptic inside of me as a a science person, Mm -hmm. I'm very skeptical. Um, Is that we are constantly in flux. So our ECS changes every single day. Our ECS tone, as we call it, so the functioning of our ECS, changes every single day because it is modulated by stress. It's modulated by mental health, physical health, spiritual health, emotional health. It's modulated by situational awareness, where we are, who we are with, what we're eating, how much water we've had. And so the type of cannabis that may work for you one day may not work for you in the same way the other day. Our body is very malleable and is constantly changing. And so I become skeptical when a company says, Oh, well, you could need this specific ratio and potency of these compounds in cannabis every single day for the rest of your life. And, uh, it'll, it'll work great for you. I just don't believe in that. I think that cannabis medicine and botanical medicine in general it has to be done with intention and also experimentation. You have to be open to the fact that what you need, what your body needs could change on any given day. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, it, being a visual person, I'm, I, I, the explanation that you have given is super helpful is there some sort of a visual guide um, or going back is there when this company says hey we can test your ECS is it blood work is it like are they collecting plasma or some sort of other part of your body and um, a swab from your mouth where are they at least claiming that they can get that information from from your body
1: Mm, I believe that from one company, it was a swab of your mouth. um, And I'm not sure on the others. I mean, the typical way would be a swab in the mouth or like a blood plasma reading, as you Mm -hmm. suggested. Um, But I honestly have not uh, dove too deep into those, but I can email you the the company if you want to check it out.
0: Sure. Yeah. I'm just curious. Cause uh, you know, we, when we talk to folks, we, we explain some of these things about the ECS and what it is. And, um, but, but it's still so new. And it, I think visually it'd be great to sort of represent like, um, here it is in, in a simplified form. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so just curious about that. But, um, so beyond the ECS, the tests for determining if you're deficient or not, that's still kind of early, uh, but its I'm sure it's coming at some point. There's a lot of advancements in genetic testing and uh, just sort of hacking the human body. So I'm sure in the next few years we'll have something that's at least somewhat reliable mm-hmm. uh, about the ECS. So moving on from there, um, let's see with... Um, uh, Trying to figure out where to go. I have eight thousand questions here <laughs> for you. Um, what would you say for someone starting out in learning about this? So we talked about hemp, the ECS. What's the next thing that we should know?
1: Mm, so, I mean. Then it's time to talk about, in my opinion, the chemotype of cannabis or moving beyond what most people use to determine their effect, which is mm-hmm. indica sativa distinction. Um, mm-hmm. And looking at the chemical compounds found in the matrix with hemp is actually nice because we don't have the indica and sativa BS right. to kind of clog people's minds. Um, mm-hmm. We just have the matrix of cannabis or matrix of hemp. And although, are-
0: although I guess at this point, it's, it's still just CBD, right? <laughs> the people say like, oh, I want CBD, but that's really not the right term.
1: Right, right, exactly. We need to look at the expanded potency panel. So look at minor cannabinoids as well as terpenes in order to help us determine the effect and predict the experience from consuming this product. And so every single company should have certificates of analysis associated with their products. Certificates of analysis is just a Fancy word for lab results where they should be testing for potency, terpenes, heavy metals, and pesticides at minimum, in my opinion. Hemp Mm -hmm. uh, still needs some really good universal regulations in regards to testing, but companies that are doing it right spring for the the expanded panels. And so... Mm -hmm. We need to look at our minor cannabinoids as well as our terpenes. And minor cannabinoids, they include CBG, CBC, uh, even some CBN may show up in the plant, THCV, uh, THCA, Delta 8 THC. Um, there are a lot of cannabinoids that we are continuing to uncover that may have dramatic effects, even in very small concentrations. So those are important to look at. And then terpenes are our, our aromatic compounds. So they give plants their smell. They're found in almost all plants and even some insects. If you've ever had a beer, if you've ever eaten an orange, if you've ever taken a shower, then you then you have interacted with terpenes. They are in almost everything. Um, And they are also abundantly found in hemp and cannabis, and they are thought to be responsible for the influence on the overall mood of the experience. So if you're going to feel silly or sleepy or sexy or relaxed or whatever it may be, that is most likely terpenes uh, that are facilitating that experience. And they also have added therapeutic value, especially when combined with cannabinoids.
0: Um, Is there a definition about what terpenes are? Yeah. So I'm just curious. They what, are what is it? Help
1: So the simplest definition, tiny aromatic compounds. They're tiny really small compounds. and they smell. <laughs> um, okay. But they also have physiological effects. Now, if we want to get into like the nitty-gritty molecular structure of terpenes, they're mm-hmm. made up of organic compounds called isoprene units, which are just little teeny tiny compounds. Their molecular formula is C58H, so they have five carbons, eight hydrogens, and They combine in a chain or sometimes they form a ring to make many different kinds of terpenes. In cannabis, we talk about monoterpenes and sesquiterpenes. Monoterpenes are the smaller of the two because they have two isoprene units joined together, whereas sesquiterpenes are larger. They have three or more isoprene units joined together joined together in cannabis and hemp. Most of the terpenes that we see are monoterpenes. There are some sesquiterpenes floating around in there as well. But even though the sesquiterpenes are bigger than the monoterpenes, they're still very, very teeny tiny. And for the the lay enthusiast who has never heard of terpenes before, if you've ever ever heard of essential oils before, that's a good uh, analogous product to look at as far as understanding terpenes. Um, the, the essential oils are highly, highly concentrated uh, terpenes, along with some aldehydes and esters, some other organic compounds that that smell a lot. But it's a good thing to think about when you are trying to wrap your head around this class of organic compounds.
0: Right. So it's the terpenes are not uh, they, they don't belong only to cannabis. You know, they're, they're no. everywhere, like you're saying. Yep. Um, and you know, so I've been really excited about terpenes lately. Um, and one thing that I'm still trying to understand is cannabinoids plus terpenes and how you can direct someone to say, Oh, you know, here's what may be helpful for this condition. Because I think the terpenes add an additional variable that, um, it, it's great, but I think it can also be really confusing. So, with, um, how do you, how do you start to understand that combination of, you know, Certain cannabinoids in a certain combination, and then adding terpenes on top of that layer, and mm. how it can be helpful or, or maybe not helpful to someone.
1: So this brings up the the big point when we talk about cannabis and hemp, which is the entourage or ensemble effect. As oh yeah, let's talk about now, that uh, as we're now calling it. Um, mm-hmm. So the entourage effect states that all compounds, all secondary compounds, so the medicinal compounds in cannabis, hemp's matrix, they all work together to produce the most medically efficacious experience possible. And what that means is that there are documented synergisms between compounds. And we can describe a synergistic effect as a multiplicative effect, which means that you add, let's say, for example, you add THCV and limonene together, you are going to get a multiplicative Effect in the realm of appetite suppressant compared to consuming one of those compounds alone. And so there are many different synergisms with many different compound formulations and combinations uh, between cannabinoids and terpenes, as well as other compounds in the matrix, such as flavonoids and phytonutrients and polyphenols, etc. But we know the most about cannabinoids and terpenes and our labs can test for these. So that's really what we focus on. Now I totally agree with you that it can get really confusing for somebody who, um, comes in and, and kind of is introduced to this whole world and then is like, oh my god, I need to think about all of these different compounds and all of their different combinations. But mm-hmm. that's why we have industry professionals. That's why we have bud tenders and patient care consultants and uh, guides who can help to kind of guide the customer or consumer to the right compound formulation for their desired experience. And so I mean, we can go through examples such as um, ep- anti-epileptic action. So if you are looking for um, a, a seizure medication to help reduce seizures, CBD is known for it, right? We have an FDA-approved mm-hmm. medication, Epidiolex, that's a whole plant extract with less than 0.1% THC. Dominance of CBD, it's used specifically for Lennox-Gastaut and Dravet syndrome, which are seizure disorders that occur uh, most commonly in children. And, uh, that's great. It, it works. Um, and there is obviously documented, um, therapeutic value in that because the FDA went ahead and approved it. However, if you want to increase the likelihood of uh, having an anti-epileptic effect, then you are going to want to combine your CBD with THCA, so the acidic form of THC, as well as linalool, which is the terpene found in lavender. That is a documented synergism, and there is scientific evidence evidence that supports that. We also have, uh, in the example I gave earlier, limonene, CBD, and THCV. So if you want to suppress appetite, if you want to not get the munchies, or if you're looking to lose weight, then combine CBD with THCV, which is another analyte in the THC family, and limonene, which is our citrus terpene. Found in the rinds of citrus fruits, almost nobody on the planet is allergic to it, so it's in a lot of soaps and cleaning supplies. Um, And besides having that synergistic effect, it gives a really lovely, like, euphoric giggly experience because it interacts with our serotonin and dopamine receptor families. So those are just two examples of documented synergisms, but there are Many, many more. And that's why I am definitely a supporter of the theory of the entourage effect. And I think that whole plant medicine and and full spectrum methodology is definitely the way to go if you're looking to increase the likelihood for therapeutic action.
0: Okay. So you probably gave Weight Watchers their next, uh, next project. (laughs) (laughs) There's our new program, our new product.
1: Um, Cannabis medicine over diet culture. Take it any day.
0: Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll probably be in diet culture for the next 2000 years. Um, so let's see, that is super interesting. Now, is there a, I don't know, some sort of a guide or a matrix that you know of, um, like if somebody wanted to understand some possible combinations, uh, so like as a as an extractor, uh, this got into my head recently, especially after listening to to some of your podcasts and some of the information that you've put out. So trying to figure out, okay, well. Which things can I combine? Is there some sort of a reference point other than somebody coming to you, obviously, that you know of that you can start saying, okay, well, if we put together CBD, THCV, limonene, that's great, appetite suppressant, what else? Is there some sort of a reference like that?
1: Mm. So that at you know this point, not really. Um okay. that is a lot of what I do is trying to create mm-hmm. those resources for people. And so I do as much as I can on as many different um media channels as I can, including my own social media, spread this kind of information. Um, I also create online courses. And so we have a full cannabinoids course, our terpenes course is coming out soon, followed by our ECS course, our ensemble effect course. Um bioavailability of consumption methods, products, etc. And the reason why I create these resources for people is because I didn't see them myself. And that was something that was just inexcusable uh, to me. Like it was such a a liability to have people who were acting as these guides for patients and customers who couldn't get answers from their doctors. And they didn't know any of this information because they didn't have access to it. And so um, that's a that's a lot of what I do. And there are online courses out there that, I mean, I know are great because I built them (laughs) that do provide this kind of information.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, can we get into full broad spectrum isolate and some of these differences in in the the terms and their definitions?
1: Yes, definitely. So you're
0: super passionate about this.
1: Yes, 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 yes. So, um, if you are choosing an extract. So if you are choosing to consume a concentrate, um, which can be found in edibles or tinctures or topicals or vape pens, um, then you will have to look at the way in which the plant material has been extracted. So we'll start with the, the broadest range, which is our full spectrum. So full spectrum refers to an extraction methodology that has done everything in its power to preserve close to the full range of secondary, compounds present in the original plant material. You can think of it as if it's a full spectrum extract, the extract has the unique fingerprint of the plant material that it came from. This means that cannabinoids and terpenes are in there. Now with full spectrum, we do have to delineate between full spectrum that can be eaten and full spectrum that can be inhaled. And so full spectrum that can be eaten or ingested sometimes also retains polyphenols, phytonutrients, flavonoids, and many plant Plant compounds and plant particulates. And some people in the industry believe that this is the only true full spectrum. I don't um, because you can't inhale polyphenols and phytonutrients uh, and other plant particulates. That's just not safe or healthy. And so if you are going to ingest a full spectrum extract, you can expect it to be a little bit darker in color. It may have some chlorophyll still retained in there. It is typically done with an alcohol extraction. So alcohol is the solvent and it's just a low and slow process, low temperature um, and long time. And the reason why it's low temperature is because a lot of these compounds, especially terpenes, are very volatile. And so they are thermally degraded, meaning if you apply heat to them, they will degrade. Um, And so full spectrum that can be ingested is done again with Alcohol is a solvent, low temp, long time. Now, full spectrum that can be inhaled, you have to remove those plant particulates plant particulates. But you can still retain cannabinoids and terpenes, which are, again, arguably, at least uh, at this point, we know that they are the most medicinal compounds when it comes to hemp and cannabis. And this is typically done with CO2 as the solvent, and it goes through something called a subcritical extraction, which puts it through at lower temperature and lower pressure. But you still need to conduct what's called winterization of that crude raw CO2 that comes out of the machine. And that means you wash it with ethanol or another type of alcohol, you keep it really cold, and that allows for all the plant waxes and lipids to come out. And then you have a full spectrum extract that can be heated and inhaled. Now, full spectrum will have a little bit of THC in there. So it will have CBD as its dominance because we're extracting from hemp, but it will also have THC. It will have an expanded panel of terpenes no matter if inhaled or ingested. Full spectrum may not be for you if you are somebody who's concerned about drug testing. And that's where we have broad spectrum. So broad spectrum is basically the same as full spectrum, just remove the THC. So this is a good option for people who want to increase the likelihood for therapeutic action but they're very scared about being drug tested and they don't want THC in there. Remember that CBD cannot effectively engage the ECS without THC. And so that's something that you're sacrificing. However, you don't want to sacrifice your job or your livelihood if you are getting drug tested. So broad spectrum may be um, the right option for you there. Then moving on, we have distillate. So distillate, you take your either raw CO2 or you take your, um, extract that's been made with a hydrocarbon-based solvent like butane or propane. And after you winterize it, you run it through a distillation process, typically a steam distillation process. Now, because you are using steam, aka heat, then you are degrading your terpenes and you are fractionating off your cannabinoids. And so a distillate will have much higher potency of the dominant cannabinoids. So it'll have a higher concentration of CBD but you're sacrificing the terpenes and you'll only get uh, a narrow window of the other minor cannabinoids at play. Um, and then finally, you have isolate. So you take distillate, you refine it even further to get an isolated compound. And again, with hemp, you are, your desired compound is CBD. And so you get this the isolated compound of CBD. That's it. You don't have Anything else in there, no other terpenes, no other cannabinoids, just CBD. And this is also a good option, again, for people who are nervous about being drug tested um, because CBD will not show up on a drug test. It should not show up on a drug test. Um... But even if there is a minuscule concentration of THC in your distillate or your full spectrum extraction, your body can still process it in such a way that it will trigger a positive drug test. And so while the therapeutic potential and therapeutic efficacy of the full spectrum uh, extraction methodology is much preferred when we're looking at symptom relief, um, it is. it comes at the cost of the potential of triggering a positive drug test. And that's where an isolate or a, a broad spectrum extraction uh, becomes more desirable.
0: Okay. Is there? Have you heard of any confirmed <laughs> cases where someone has been either prosecuted or jailed for taking CBD, but then their lab result came back as positive for THC? I, yes. I've, I've heard a lot of rumors, but yeah, you have.
1: Yes. Yeah, so that happened to us here in Oregon, um, out in Beaverton, which is in the suburbs of Portland. There was a bus driver, and he was an, I believe, elementary school bus driver, but he was a bus driver for the public schools out there, and he was like in his early sixties, almost about to, um, retire and get his I pension. Know. I know. And he was dealing with some pretty bad back pain from obviously being a bus driver for mm-hmm. a very long time. And he went to his local dispensary and the bartender gave him a hemp extract and said, Oh, it's hemp. Like you'll be fine. Um, cause he asked specifically about getting drug tested and, mm-hmm. um, he took the hemp extract and he got drug tested and it triggered a positive result and he lost his job. He lost his pension. Um, he lost everything and obviously was incredibly upset. And that's again, where I come back to like, it is such a liability to not educate your dispensary staff. They need to know this type of information so that they better advise the customers. And it's just a good general practice to not like assure anybody 100% that they will not trigger a positive drug test. We don't know mm. enough about the way that our body is processing this. Every single person is unique in the way that they're processing this. And so that's, that's just not a guarantee that we can give at this point.
0: Yeah. And usually when somebody asks me, I go in this whole spiel about, you know, it's it's possible, it's you know kind of unlikely, but it, the possibility is still there. And there are a lot of variables to that because you mentioned that um, with taking, let's say, a full spectrum, the, the the changes are still low, but it is possible. But then even if somebody's taking an isolate CBD, is, that, is it possible that they can sort of metabolize THC in their body and, and THC show up in a blood work? So or in, in a lab result?
1: CBD cannot metabolize into THC in the body. And this is kind of an urban legend that, um, I've seen pop up over the years that CBD can transform into THC, especially if you digest it. That's not true. However, I still would not be comfortable giving a full 100% guarantee. It is highly unlikely that if somebody's mm-hmm. consuming just a CBD isolate, that, um, they will trigger a positive drug test, but you don't know how their body is storing THC that they've consumed maybe months ago. Um, You just don't, don't know. And so I would never take on that liability uh, on the freak chance that something happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talking about somebody's livelihood and then all the repercussions that can come from that. Like I can only imagine that gentleman losing, you know, almost everything at the end. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. So full spectrum, broad spectrum isolate. Fantastic. Um, now just to back up for a second. So you mentioned, you've mentioned polyphenols and flavonoids a couple of times. Can you define that quickly for, for us?
1: Yeah. So flavonoids, they are again, class of organic compounds. Um, terpaphenolic compounds. So they belong to the, the terpene and the, the phenol family. Um, we can take them and we often do take them, uh, in supplement form. So if you've heard of like quercetin or apigenin, those are flavonoids that are very common. They're found mostly in fruits and vegetables. So also if you've ever been told like, Oh, blueberries have amazing antioxidants or broccoli can help cure cancer. That's people are talking about the flavonoids in those fruits mm-hmm. and vegetables. Um, um they generally have antioxidant and anti proliferative properties uh as well as apigenin is able to interact with our benzodiazepine receptors and so it can give off an anti anxiety effect um with cannabis there are 23 documented flavonoids in cannabis currently only two of them are specific to the cannabis plant meaning that they're not found in any other plant Uh, and those are canoflavin a and canaflavin b
0: um okay and then so those were the canoflavin a and b those were flavonoids
1: yes Yes. Yes. Okay.
0: All right. And then, so what about polyphenols?
1: Oh yes. Um, polyphenols, I'd say polyphenols. I'm also from New York, so okay. I, I just pronounce everything differently. Well, I assume. Yeah, we're going to get into
0: a war here. Tomato, <laughs> tomato,
1: <laughs> apricot, apricot. Definitely blow <laughs> off the tongue a lot better. Um, but I, I can't not say polyphenol, so I apologize. um, No, no, (laughs) no. They are, their plant compounds, again, part of the organic family of um, compounds, the phenolic compounds. And they have been associated with some therapeutic properties, such as being able to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease, etc. And phytonutrients are the same. Kind of deal, phytonutrients are more in line, as polyphenols are, with being eaten, so digested, ingested. Um, Phytonutrients can also be linked to compounds like chlorophyll per se. Um, it is a nutrient that is found in the plant, whereas chlorophyll can act as a digestive aid. Um, and it also has claims that it can reduce internal odor, which is interesting. Um, just internal
0: like a- like in, inside of your body odor.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, like hmm. an active is an internal deodorant, uh, fun, just like fun, personal anecdote, anecdote aside. Um, my, family, my mother specifically has always been into plant medicine. We come from a long line of uh, Italian plant witches. And, um, she had us drinking chlorophyll from the time that we were like three years old. So I have grown up consuming chlorophyll consistently and I love it. I mean, I think my body's just used to it. It grew up with it. Um, but it, it definitely aids in my digestion. Uh, so I'm, I'm a fan. Um, but also like Compounds like beta carotene found in carrots can be called a phytonutrient, um, compounds like that.
0: Interesting. Okay. Um, So maybe we can go off on a tangent here for a second. Um, Waste, right? Mm. uh, That's something that people don't often talk about. And, uh, then you know, when we extract, we, we unfortunately don't have a great system to be able to turn our spent biomass into something. What are you hearing? Like, what do you know about what people are doing? And especially, especially out where you are, there's so much more, um, marijuana production and then waste from that. I've heard about, uh, trucks coming in, you know, with trailers and hauling off a whole bunch of stuff and, and either Dumping it, or maybe charring it, giving back to to the earth. Uh, whatever you heard about what folks are doing with uh, spent biomass or that kind of waste.
1: Mm. So with like plant material waste, there are many mm-hmm. other options uh, to to look at. And so there are a lot of people, as you mentioned, kind of returning it to the earth. In the hemp world, making those like hemp pellets that then can be used for uh, the construction of a variety of different things. I mean, hemp is so cool because you can use almost every single part of the plant, Um, whether you are making CBD products or you want to make hempcrete or paper or fuel or clothing. uh, It just, there's so much opportunity for how we use the quote unquote waste. Um, With extraction, waste becomes a lot more problematic because it's a biohazard. So if you are extracting with a hydrocarbon solvent, like um, benzene or sorry, not benzene, uh, butane or propane, then you have to dump it, uh, in a very specific, like biohazard plant. And, um, we don't have a lot of those. (laughs) And so it, it is, it becomes a kind of problematic thing that lawmakers and compliance officials have to figure out of like, okay, if there's not, for example, hypothetical, a biohazard plant that can effectively process waste from butane and protein propane processing, um, In Oregon, then we have to send it over state lines, but our Mm. regulator is going to kind of just like look away to that. Um, or how are they going to manage that? Right. And so that, that becomes a, a much bigger question. And of course it's, it's not great for the earth either. Um, which is why I definitely prefer something that's not hydrocarbon based. I prefer a CO2 extract or um an alcohol based extraction or even a solventless extraction. So something like um hash or ice water hash where you're using ice water as a solvent or a solventless where it's just like a rosin or keef where you're just sifting the plant material or using heat and pressure um to extract with with no solvent.
0: You know what I just learned about the other day? Um, have you heard of spagyric extraction? No. Um, super interesting. Just blew me away. I was talking with someone that uh, they, they extract and... Um, essentially it's something that dates back millennia and so they they use alcohol extraction so they do that process turn it into crude or whatever but then the uh that biomass that has been um that's now devoid of any nutrient they burn it and they're left with um i think the way she described it was almost like crystal or ash and so then they, in what are left what she's left with is minerals. And so then she does something with the minerals and she infuses it back into the, the extraction or the extract product. And so then apparently, I just learned about this, so I haven't researched it, uh, they claim that what was once an oil is now turned into a water-soluble material because of the salts that are infused back into the, the cannabinoid oil.
1: Wow. And And apparently
0: it turns the, the pH level, I guess then the product is, um, I guess pH balanced because of infusing with those, um, with those minerals. Huh? Super interesting. I I want to research
1: that. Can you tell me the name again?
0: Yeah. Uh, let me say, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. Uh, I'll tell you in a second. Um, hold on. I think it's. S P A G I I R but oh no wait. S S P A G Y R I C
1: Okay cool. Thank you. I'm going to look into yeah. that because that, that sounds wild.
0: Yeah. Let, let me know what you find out about that. Cause it, it sounded super, super interesting. And uh, just from, from one differentiating it, you know, two, from the ability to add additional benefits to a product, but then also from a waste standpoint that you're left with almost no waste because you're burning it and you're putting part of that product back into the, your extract or lotion or whatever you're making. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: All right. My win this week is that I told you something that you didn't know already. <laughs> That's like, I'm going to write that down in my journal.
1: I love that. I love that. <laughs> That's
0: my win. Um, all right. So Cool. I, I, I'm going to be listening to this podcast about 8,000 times. I'm, I'm learning a lot. Good. Um, so talked about waste. And let's see, going back a little bit about the it, hemp and, and the, the extract, where would you say that science is as far as proof or evidence about cannabinoids, whether it's more on the hemp side or marijuana side and working with Conditions, so you know, pain is a big one. The, the top three that I always hear about are pain, sleep, and some sort of a stress or anxiety. Mm. Uh, when when the government says, "Well, we need more evidence, more proof," but from your perspective, you know, do we do we have enough evidence to say that these cannabinoids work with X, or do we need more? And where do we need more of that research?
1: Mm. So. THC is actually one of the most researched compounds on the planet. So it is bullshit when governments are like, oh, we need we need more research. THC. Mm Had so much research behind it. Unfortunately, a lot of that research has been done to prove negative side effects of THC. Uh, the way yeah. that our research system is set up in the United States, especially with a Schedule One drug, is incredibly frustrating because the only funding that you'll get are from institutions that are looking to prove the negative effects of THC. And then if that's such a waste of money, <laughs> such a waste of money, because if that research then comes back as most of it did with like, Oh, actually THC doesn't have uh, that dramatic of a negative effect, then mm-hmm. they bury the research and they bury the right. findings. So that is one incredibly frustrating. Two, there's also uh, the fact that most of this research has been done on animal models. So we're looking at the way in which compounds, specifically cannabinoids, affect uh, mice and rats, which while, yes, they have an endocannabinoid receptor system, as most mammals do, they're not the same as humans. We're more complex organisms um, and things will just impact us differently because we are different. And so we can't conclusively state from that evidence that, oh, for example, there was a recent, recent research study that's been done around THC's analgesic effects with um, a patient population of women who are experiencing endometriosis. And they used mice and they it kind of inoculated mice with endometriosis, which I mean, the ethics of that are very questionable and then, um, treated them with THC and they found, Oh, dramatic pain relief. And like, yes, that we know that to be true already, because there is a large population of women with endometriosis who manage their pain with THC dominant cannabis. Um, that research definitely provides the scientific evidence to help support further research. However, that isolated um, instance does not allow us to conclusively state that THC Uh, is good for relieving pain for endometriosis. We need to combine that with the statistical aggregate anecdotal evidence of the human patient populations. We also need to run human clinical trials. So if we look outside of the United States, Israel and the Czech Republic are really making strides when looking at patient populations, human patient populations, and testing different cannabinoid formulations on uh, the patients to help manage ADHD or autism or many different forms of cancer. So there is that research being done that will help to elucidate a lot of the more specific mechanisms as they relate to human physiology around how cannabinoids can impact um, our physiological health, especially in these heightened disease states. Um, Also important to note that cannabis is a botanical medicine. So it is not like a pharmaceutical. It does not follow our allopathic model in In our Western world, where we isolate one single compound from a plant, and then we test it a battery of times, and then we synthesize it in a lab, and then we package it for the masses, right? That's the pharmaceutical allopathic model um, that we are, as a society, I believe, shifting out of. I mean, the opioid epidemic has definitely caused us to look at that and be like, hmm, actually, is that the best way to go? Um, Mm -hmm. My favorite example is looking at aspirin. So aspirin, it's an anti-inflammatory, fever reducer, pain reliever. It comes from white will And so that is a compound, the salicylic acid that was removed from white willow bark and synthesized and concentrated. And then Bayer gave it out to the masses. Um, But aspirin, if you take it in high concentrations, can cause stomach issues. Whereas if you chew on white willow bark, as many of the indigenous people in America did, um, there is another compound within that matrix that will help to reduce stomach issues. Cannabis is like the same thing, right? And so All of the compounds in the matrix are working together to provide the most therapeutic effect with the least amount of negative side effects. And everybody will respond differently to those compound formulations. So in research, it's hard to say that, oh, THC for everybody will incur XYZ or will cause XYZ or will treat XYZ. At this point, from a compliance standpoint and also from a kind of scientific integrity standpoint, I don't believe that we can make any medical claims. And I don't know if we ever will be able to. I think that we can say cannabis has high therapeutic action and it is likely that THC will help reduce your pain uh, if you are experiencing endometriosis for example, but can we say conclusively THC will treat your pain? No.
0: It, I mean, one of the things that's so challenging when looking at some research is that they'll say oh we just discovered that CBD for example will help such and such but there's so many variables to that product that they used right so mm-hmm. whether the strain that they used the cannabinoid profile terpenes like you're saying um, you know, the, the form and it seems like we're not at least some of the research that I've seen we're not shown that information because uh, it's not exactly comparing apples to apples it could be you know, comparing a green apple to a, I don't know, like a, I'm terrible with apple names so like a red apple or something like that, which could have some very different properties. It can have some very different effects. Um, is that kind of what you see? Or, I mean, I know obviously you're looking at the research in depth.
1: Yes. Yes. So it's also, I think, uh, on the opposite end of that spectrum that like an isolate outside of its plant matrix may deliver a different result than when you like smoke or inhale or, or consume a whole plant extract. Um, Mm. and the, the products on the market on the legal cannabis market and on the national hemp market, um, are not necessarily formulated with that level of scientific integrity and with that level of compound consistency and, Even like labs that are testing or conducting analytical testing for these products have such high variance. And so, I mean, in Oregon, there was an audit that was done. This must have been like a couple years back now. But between each lab, there was 10% variance. That's like an insane Mm -hmm. level when we're looking at THC and and cannabinoid potencies that reach 30% max and terpene concentrations that reach like. 10% 10% max. <laughs> to mm. have a 10% variance is wild. And so the lack of universal standards among analytical testing for these cannabis problem products is also causing some, um, some difficulties in beginning to actually map the aggregate anecdotal evidence of how people respond to products. And also in statistical aggregate anecdotal evidence where uh, companies survey a large portion of people, thousands and thousands of people about their cannabis use and try to elucidate, um, different, uh, therapeutic effects based on different ratios that people are using. You have, self reporting bias and so you have people who like they maybe got high and and smoked something that had a dominant concentration of limonene but they forgot to note that in their survey right and mm-hmm. so um there are just there are many barriers to uh, a crystal clear answer but again that is like not so much of a concern for me as it is an exciting thing because I think Mm -hmm. that we need to shift as a society with this like obsession around um, allopathic pharmaceutical approach where it's like, oh, this one compound is going to do the thing. It's going to act as a cure-all. It's going to uh, have this battery of therapeutic effects where we need to shift to a more nutraceutical uh, plant medicine approach, which is It requires experimentation. It's extremely personal. You're going to have to test a lot of different ratios and and varieties and products and consumption methods until you find what's right for you. It necessitates keeping a consumption journal. It necessitates bigger check-ins with oneself. And cannabis is such a good candidate for this experimentation because it is such low risk as compared to other pharmaceuticals out there and other substances out there. I mean, nobody has Hide physiologically from cannabis because mm-hmm. the compounds cannot actually shut down our lungs or our heart, our brain. Yes, there are negative side effects. You may feel uncomfortable, especially with uh, an overdose of THC. But if you impart the strategy of microdosing, and if you um, are keeping that consumption journal, and if you are experimenting responsibly and have a really good guide, then like you will figure out a lot of good things about what works for you. And that is the most important resource, despite all of the research and the scientific evidence that trust I want, and I think is really cool to uncover and it can help. Like, it's kind of like breadcrumbs that will lead us in the right direction. Still, it is extraordinarily personal and it's going to be about the consumer and what works best for them.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a challenge. in when I talk to to folks, and their, you know, their brother or sister or mom tried CBD and it. Save their life because it helped with such and such, and the expectations that people have is so great that the disappointment is so high when it doesn't work on day one, exactly. You know, 15 minutes after taking it, and that's such a challenge because uh, you know, like you're saying, it's an individualized experience. It takes some experimentation, um, but they, it's it's challenging to to sort of sell that to someone when they saw something on TV that said you know. Mary Louise just came off of cancer therapy because of such and such. Like it's, it's really hard to to sell that to somebody.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it takes this shift of like, it's not like ibuprofen. Like it's not like you were going to take two pills and like, feel an immediate sense of relief, it's going to take experimentation and you have to be in it for the long haul and you have to treat it like integrating any other, um, medicine into your routine. Like again, for example, if you, start on an antidepressant or an SSRI, it will take six weeks for your body Mm. to adjust. And so Mm. I, when I talk to people who are looking to integrate cannabis into their lifestyle and integrate cannabis medicine, I always preface the conversation with that of like, you have to get ready to, to really think about yourself and your wellness to really notice your your other patterns in your lifestyle—are you really stressed and anxious because of your relationship or because of your job? I mean, CBD is not going to help cure that if it's that kind of external Maybe. factor, right? Uh, I call cannabis and cannabis compounds kind great illuminators, where like they will help to illuminate the areas of. Of, uh, interest in your life that could be causing you problems, <laughs> they will not mm-hmm. help to dampen those. Um, and so it's people need to, to be prepared for that. And I think you're exactly right that they come in with this idea that like, oh, CBD is going to save me, it's going to be this cure all. And that's one of the biggest misconceptions out there, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. And it seems like, I think part of, the, part of it could be because some, somebody coming in and maybe they're at the end of the rope where they've tried everything. They've tried doctors and some sort of therapy and, uh, some medication. And then they say, well, let's just try CBD as a last resort. So they're, they're just desperate. Uh, so it, it's hard to kind of convince them that, Hey, you have to wait four or five, six weeks possibly. Uh, and you have to journal and notate what you're noticing before and then after taking it and then titrate, you know, go up and down in your dose. Uh, but that's uh, definitely part of that. And I think as a company, it's part of our responsibility to not set those bad expectations that, yes. Hey, this is going to you know solve world peace yeah. and <laughs> managing it and saying, Hey, this could be helpful, but here's how it kind of gives some, some, um, uh, I guess ethical guidance. And okay. not set bad expectations, um, which is, you know, tough, uh, in, a uh, in the wild west of cannabis as it is now, mm-hmm. um, so let's see With what are your thoughts on synthetic uh you, you mentioned that a little bit before or, or do you think that uh obviously we'll see a lot of that um i was at a conference last year and there, there was a company that was getting some investment money because they were creating uh cbd from uh yeast i guess they were extracting with yeast uh where they would just make the exact same thing every single time and not the you know when you go to the store and you buy a banana you don't ask. For for a COA in your bananas to make sure that it has the right concentration of fiber and all the other things. Uh, They were totally on the other side and just making it kind of like pharma. Mm. Uh, What are are your thoughts on that?
1: So for the, general population and the kind of general consumer who wants to just improve their health and, and wellness, not a fan. I don't think that synthetic cannabinoids will ever get to the therapeutic value of whole plant extract. Again, I'm such a proponent of the entourage effect. I love full spectrum. I love whole plants, flower even better. Um, However, I think that synthetics, especially synthetic compounds, not even synthetic cannabinoids, but synthetic compounds that can engage our ECS in different ways do offer a lot of therapeutic value for specific symptom relief or targeting specific disease states. Um, For example, I just read a research paper this morning, actually, before hopping on uh, this call with you where It looked at the ECS's role in uh, the reward pathways when consuming alcohol, and that the CB2 receptor actually has the ability to modulate that reward that we feel after we consume alcohol. And that if you apply an antagonist or an inverse agonist to that CB2 receptor, aka you dampen and uh, inactivate, quote unquote, the CB2 receptors signaling, then that will nullify any reward felt from alcohol. And so this presents a novel approach to helping uh, people recover from alcoholism and alcohol abuse disorders. And so there, I mean, at this point, we don't know compounds in cannabis that are naturally occurring that could act as an inverse agonist or an antagonist to the cb2 receptor maybe we will in the future but at this point all we can do is synthesize compounds in a lab that can act in this way and i think that that is a a great area to explore and so while while the gen pop and people who are just looking for an increased uh, therapeutic value and, and overall health and wellness and, and experimentation and relief of stress and anxiety, I do not, do not uh, co-sign the synthetic cannabinoids. But I do think that they're an area worth exploring for the treatment and management of some more specific disease states.
0: What was your thought on combining cannabinoids? So organically from, a uh, let's say, a hemp plant, you might get, uh, of course, you're, you're, uh, the majority in CBD, but you might get some CBV or something like that. But then uh, taking these extracts and combining them into some sort of a final product, do you think that that's as effective as if it were organically extracted or do you see some value in um kind of helping the plant um with these multiple extracts hmm. So or cannabinoids
1: I think that there is more value in uh doing a whole plant extract and retaining hmm. the unique fingerprint of the plant um in your extraction process. When you conduct an extraction and you it's typically done with distillate and you favor a higher concentration of certain cannabinoids and then combine a few distillates together to get really high concentrations of multiple cannabinoids, um, you are still destroying a lot of the oil cells in the process and thermally degrading a lot of those other compounds, uh, terpenes included, as well as many other phytonutrients polyphenols um flavonoids and even creating new compounds uh, creating new aldehydes and esters in that process that to me it just feels too frankensteiny where it just feels Mm -hmm. like a frankenstein full spectrum that's not actually a full spectrum because it's not the unique fingerprint of the plant um and so i i'm not a fan again i think that that could offer uh kind of a novel approach to compounding formulation if we are looking at like treating or managing a very specific disease state. But mm. for somebody who is just interested in, in exploring their own health and wellness through the lens of cannabis, there's no need for that.
0: Gotcha. So let's take a step back. And um, I think you have a pretty interesting perspective on the industry based on w- what you what you do and the type of clientele? Um, what are you seeing? So it's at the beginning of 2020 right now. Um, what are you seeing coming down for the next 12 months or so? Maybe trends that you think might come to fruition or things that might go away with the hemp industry, or if you want to talk about anything with the marijuana industry, just curious what your what kind of insights you have there.
1: Yeah. So with the USDA uh, 2018 Farm Bill, it did. Legalize hemp nationally for commercial purposes, but it also left a lot of blank spots for the regulation of the importation of hemp and the importation of hemp seeds and uh, the way that we test hemp and the way that we process hemp. So I think that we'll see a lot more of those regulations come down the pipe. Um, also, the FDA, like while it does approve Epidiolex, it does not approve CBD in uh, dietary supplements or food and. So So that is something that is of interest to me that I think that the the FDA may come cracking down on that as there are a lot of CBD products on the market that are infused into food and are dietary supplements, I'd say a majority of them. And so the FDA is claiming that that's unlawful. And so I think that... um, we we may see some more vocal regulation from them coming as well. Um, the FDA also stands by the fact that CBD has risk, uh, specifically in the ways of liver injury and male reproductive issues and negative drug interactions. And so, they highly discourage consuming CBD on the national market. Which. Hmm, of course, because they have a CBD <laughs> pharmaceutical, and yeah. it's um, it's I think very convenient that uh, the their CBD pharmaceutical they state is the only safe one. But that again, mm-hmm. it's getting into more of my political views. Um, sure. I I think that the presidential election is going to also uh, potentially. Um, either like keep us at the same place that we're at or uh, catalyze us into federal legalization of all cannabis and so that will be a whole new wild world where it will turn kind of every state up on its head um, and, and we'll have a whole new slew of regulations to deal with and we'll have interstate commerce and banking and, and it will ultimately very, be very good but there will be a lot of changes to be had yeah. and so we'll kind of see how that plays out uh as well
0: do, do you think the cannabis industry will will vote bernie sanders <laughs> into I mean, power?
1: i i think that uh there is a a ton of support behind his assurance that like first day in office he will legalize it nationally now mm-hmm. can he do that um yeah, of course. is is always the question especially with um that bastard Mitch McConnell in the Senate, but, uh, it, it definitely shows that he Sanders is, is in support of us and, um, believes that it should, should happen. And I, I think that that definitely will cause a lot of people to, to throw their support behind him.
0: Yeah. I think it's easy to forget that the, sure it's, it's the president, but that person only has so much power and they still have to influence, you know, the house and the Senate into doing what's what they think is right. Like yes. It's not just like the president says, Oh, let's do this. And it happens. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we are not in a dictatorship yet. Thankfully.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so then what, um, from your perspective, if you had, uh, let's say you were speaking to a, a, a room full of cannabis, um, CEOs and executives and whatnot, what kinds of, what kind of advice would you give to them to say, Hey, Now go ahead, here's what you guys have to focus on for the next 12 to 18 months because um, it's, you know, as it, a business, you don't work on something today that will come to fruition tomorrow. You have to work in the long, think about the long term So what kind of uh, advice or, or suggestions would you have for these folks?
1: Mm. Consumer education and ethical marketing, I'd say is the biggest things that I believe cannabis companies should adopt. There are so many of them out there now. There is such high competition that the only way that you are going to differentiate yourself, if you're a dispensary is to educate your staff so that they may provide the best possible experience for your customers and the only way that you're going to differentiate yourself as uh, a product or a flower company is to provide authenticity and to connect with your consumers and to educate them around why your product is the best that of course to me also means that you need to have ethical formulation practices whether it be an organic model for cultivation or uh, a full spectrum uh, methodology for extraction with no Additives or additional yucky ingredients, um, but it it is a consumer driven market, and this is a commodity. It is as if we look at it just strictly from a business standpoint. Um, this is a commodity. It's a consumer driven market, and consumers are becoming more conscious about what they put in their body every single. especially in light of the recent vape crisis where people began dying from vaping when we had been told consistently that vaping was healthier than smoking, and then Mm -hmm. turn around and oh, actually people are suffering from lung failure and pulmonary failure because of these vape devices, because we had unethical companies who are prioritizing profits over people. And so consumers are becoming vigilant in their investigation of companies. If you are a company, make it really easy for them to know that you're doing good. Make sure on your website you have educational resources. Make sure you're communicating clearly and concisely and in a digestible way what your products are, who you are, what you do, and what your values are. We we are in this age of like social responsibility and consumers wanting to choose products and companies that are caring about people and caring about the planet. And that's great, but make sure that it's not just a facade. Do your homework and really go deeper than just the face of social responsibility and make sure that you are committed to doing right by the people, the plant, and this planet and communicating that to your consumer market.
0: Yeah, it's hard to fake that. I think even if you do well at faking that you care about those things, eventually the truth comes to light and somebody finds out whether an employee... sort of, you know, spills the beans or, or consumers just kind of get that intuition and those companies kind of go by the wayside, but that we're not there yet. There's still a lot of hype around cannabis in general. And, uh, like for example, I just got, we get samples of products all the time and we got a product, uh, they sent a sample pack and we got gummies and, and tinctures and, uh, all sorts of stuff. And the product was a quote-unquote full spectrum and they sent along their COAs, which I don't even know why they do that because in, in the COA, then there's just CBD, but it's a full spectrum product. <laughs> yeah. They even define it and they're like, oh, here's what full spectrum is, you know, multiple cannabinoids and terpenes and all that kind of stuff. Their COA had just CBD, their terpenes, they, they didn't even test for them. Um, and you know, I think for folks like us, we, we understand that. The consumer is not there yet. You know, yep. they just think like, oh, full spectrum sounds fancy. I should get that one as opposed to, Something else.
1: Yep, totally, totally. But I, I do see, especially from. I mean, I've been at this now almost five years, and we've come a long way. And I think that we are on this kind of like expedited bell curve where people are becoming more and more educated uh, more quickly because of all the information sharing potential that we have with the internet and and our our technological advancements that um, soon, like that will not be able to fly like you just won't be mm-hmm. able to survive as a company because there are enough people who are doing it right and i always always say that the ones who aren't will eventually get exposed
0: yeah i spoke to someone recently they were trying to they were trying to sell us some of their cbd so we can sell in the a, a little retail store that we have and i usually ask the question what's different about your product and person started to explain how they have a quality product. Uh, and I was asking, well, what does that mean? It's like, well, we have COAs. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, that's, that's, that's great. So that's that's like standard fare now. But what, what else is there? It's like, oh, well, I know the I know the scientist. Uh, I'm like, OK, wow. <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, and so we still have a lot of that. And probably because companies are not maybe vetting or or educating, like you're saying, their staff so that their staff is just, um, you know, the stereotypical kind of car salesman that they just want to sell you stuff. They just want to take your money, Mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily have that care about what they're giving you. And like at our company, we always remind ourselves that it's not about completing the product like it's not about just filling a little bottle with oil right it's about the integrity of the product and that the fact that it's going to somebody across the United States and they're going to ingest it they're going to put it on their body they're going to give it to their kids they're going to give it to their pets and I mean that's that's serious when you think about that it's not just making a couple of bucks off of a piece of glass and some oil inside
1: Yep. These are people's lives and families and, and people who are already in disease states who are at the end of their rope and are looking for an alternative. I mean, there, there is a lot of responsibility that comes with this. And I completely agree with you that like the car salesman schmoozy approach just does not work. It doesn't work. You need to, you need to have more of a care and be able to authentically speak from a place of, I, I, and my company are doing right by this plant and we want to do right by you as well, that this could mm. actually help you. It may help you. And here's how and here's why.
0: Um, it's starting to wind down here. Is there any kind of, um, I don't know, product or service that you find is missing in the industry?
1: Yeah. Mm. I think that the products that are missing are more of like the, the medical device products. So there are uh, some that are beginning to pop up of like a nasal spray or an inhaler. And we're just not there yet to have those kinds of medical devices on the market um, with like consistency and actual viability. Um, And so I think that those will, we're going to begin to see those come down the pipe, especially as regulations change and, and open up hopefully on a federal landscape. Um, and as far as like services, I think that we need more hemp packaging in the space. There are definitely companies who are doing it and that's great, but the amount of hard plastic and the amount, (coughs) excuse me, the amount of packaging That goes into cannabis products is a goddamn sin because this is quote unquote, a green industry. And yet we are producing so much plastic just to be in compliance that I would like to see governments and policymakers require hemp packaging and even provide subsidies because it is so expensive, um, as compared to this hard plastic nonsense.
0: What would be better? What would you suggest?
1: Hemp plastic is great.
0: Just a, just oh, hemp plastic instead of okay. So like instead of uh, glass or, or cardboard. Or yeah, something glass like
1: that. is also good. Reusable glass. Um, there is a company called Restash that has reusable glass jars with airtight containers, but it's just not uh, it's not that desirable from a customer standpoint if they're just like buying a, a gram of flour. They don't want to purchase this $20 glass jar in order to yeah. uh, package it. And then people forget to bring it back and and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like hemp plastics, mushroom plastics, there are other plastic alternatives that can be used. And right now they are too expensive for many of these struggling businesses. And so if we can get some kind of subsidi- subsidies in place or some kind of like kickback program um, from policymakers and people who are writing these laws, then I think that that would be amazing
0: yeah it's still like you were saying before it's a commodity and so the consumer ultimately they have that choice and if you present two very similar products and they're about 20 thirty di- uh, dollar price difference you know th- they're probably gonna be like oh, I, I like the environment but you know I, I need to get better and so I'm gonna save a couple of bucks yeah uh, maybe without that government involvement that that'll be challenging definitely uh, unless it's a company that, that they just firmly believe in that and so that the consumer will have that affinity for that company and, and liking them and wanting to support it, uh, that they'll pay a few additional bucks for, for the company, but then also for themselves and, and for the, for sustainability of the planet.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that it's going to take a company with large capital backing to kind of stick their ne- necks out and make that, uh, choice for themselves. And I do believe that it will pay off in the long run. It's just kind of like incurring that additional cost when many companies are already struggling.
0: Yeah, Uh, I want to go like way back. Like uh, we're we're an hour and a half into this at this point, but um, when uh, thinking about the scenario of a consumer, potential consumer coming into your shop and saying, "Hey, I have this condition," um, how do you start to think about? Okay, well, if somebody has, let's say, pain, and you have a multitude of different hemp products—full spectrum, broad spectrum, isolates, abs, lotions, blah, 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 um, blah—how do you start? how, How do you effectively? guide them? Hmm. Um, you know, cause like obviously somebody can come to you and say, you know, Emma, teach me. Um, but it, how do you start to one, get educated about it, but then two, how do you start to guide that consumer to say, okay, these are the couple of products that might be better for you?
1: Sure. So, um, there are many different questions that can and should be asked to a customer who comes in, uh, for somebody who comes in looking for specific symptom relief, and they tell you that right off the bat, that's great. You've already bypassed the, my favorite question, which is what kind of experience are you looking for? Are you looking for particular symptom relief? Um, then it's about what's your lifestyle like, and how would you like to consume? And the reason why I ask the the lifestyle question is because are you uh, stay at home? dad who has to watch his kids all day and therefore can't be any, any kind of impaired, or are you a high powered CEO who is constantly on the phone with people? And again, needs to be really lucid and present. Are you a creative? So it doesn't really matter. uh, if you smoke all day in your studio, are you a writer who works remotely? Same kind of deal. Um, So to begin to really understand what that person's daily life is like and how they could best integrate cannabis into it. Then we go into the realm of consumption. So I ask, are you comfortable smoking? Or, or would you like to choose a different route? And that allows people to say, yes, I'm okay with smoking. Or no, I don't want to inhale anything. I prefer edibles. Then we would go over to the available selections for whatever consumption method that they're interested in. And I would pull out a variety of different products. Um, if we're talking about just the CBD world, then you will have less of a variety um, in terms of, let's say, somebody wanted to medicate for anxiety during the day, um, because it was keeping them up at night. Then I would maybe suggest two products, something really, uh, dominant in CBD during the day to help keep the anxiety down. And then something with closer to a one-to-one ratio of CBD and THC at night to help to facilitate deeper sleep, um, Whereas with the, the hemp and CBD world, you really just have CBD dominance. And so then it becomes a discussion about, are you, um, are you concerned about getting drug tested? And that will kind of lead you to what type of extraction they are looking for um, and how discreet do you need to be in your consumption? So if uh, they need to be very discreet, then something like a little mint or a lozenge. Um, if they don't need to be as discreet, then, then look at smoking or, or vaporizing or, or taking a tincture or something like that. So there are many leading questions that need to be asked in order for you to best understand what it is your customer is looking for and what's appropriate for them to be able to handle and, and integrate into their lifestyle.
0: All right. That that silence was my brain exploding. (laughs) Uh, I I have so much stuff here in front of me that this is awesome. Um, Let's see. Is there, we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. Is there anything else you think we should know or something I should have asked that you know is just really important that people keep in mind right now about where we are with cannabis and with hemp?
1: Mm. God, we covered so much, yeah. which is so yeah. great. Um, I'm, I'll say what I say to everybody when I'm teaching is that we are still at such the beginning Stages of this whole thing, and that it does afford really um, like promising potential for the way that we look at our own health and wellness, and the way that we manage many different disease states and many different symptoms of. Diseases, and that the best thing that a consumer can do right now is to support companies that are ethical and that are creating quality products and doing right by the plant and the people because it is so hard financially for companies to make it in this space, still, because we still have a long way to go with growing the consumer market and bringing down uh, really prohibitive regulations and, and tax structures. We need to make sure that we are supporting the companies who are craft, who are small, who are producing uh, with integrity. And so do your research, investigate. Do not be afraid to contact a company and email them. If they do not want to share their lab results with you, move on. There will be many other companies who who will be open about their practices and who will want to engage in a dialogue. <laughs>
0: Emma, you're awesome. That is a great place to to end the conversation. Um, So where should folks uh, connect with you?
1: Yes. So my business is Eminent Consulting. You can find us online on Instagram, as well as at EminentConsultingFirm.com. And on our website, you can find many different links to educational resources, especially those online courses that I had mentioned.
0: I think everybody should follow you on Instagram you have some great content out there you put, put out different stories uh, different posts uh, you're super fun um, you always seem like you're having a great time you know, <laughs> doing, doing videos so that, that's really helpful besides the fact that you have amazing value that you offer folks just with the education itself and then cherry on top is just your I think your personality and your charisma that comes out so I hope everybody can uh, follow you and subscribe and learn more about you and uh, if they need some more education just to contact you directly and hopefully that you get some additional business because of the great value that you offer. So, um, we will leave it there and maybe we'll do a second part in the future. I'm sure as you're learning every single day, there's probably a lot of great stuff that will be soon to follow about education and getting it out to the world.
1: I would love that. Thank you so much for having me on Jason. This has been great.
0: Fantastic. Emma, have a good rest of your day.
1: You as well.
0: Hey guys. And before you go, this is Jason from Spectrum Labs. Please be sure to visit us on the web at thespectrumlabs.com for any show notes and links discussed in the podcast. Also remember to click the subscribe button wherever you may be listening from. So you get notified when our next episode comes out and tune in next show and have a fantastic day.